This podcast is sponsored by Ritbox, delivering ultimate human performance to you in a convenient monthly subscription box. Enter a chance to win today 10 free boxes, over $1,000 in value, and 10% of all Gritbox revenue goes to help inner city athletes achieve high performance. Let's get into it. Episode one, the 10 rules of top flight human performance. Welcome to the Operation Gritbox podcast. I am your host, Coach Jack, and thank you for tuning in. This is a podcast all about teaching men why it is important to live at high performance. And without hesitation, let's get into it. Why do I feel it is important that I, as a man, live at high performance? Why do I feel that you, as a man, need to be living at high performance? And there are a couple different central reasons why I believe a high-performance lifestyle, both in our craft, in our discipline, and overall in how we behave and act in our life, is really important. One is something kind of internal within us. So about 10 years ago, I went to graduate school for human performance. Uh, We studied positive psychologist, a gentleman by the name of Abraham Maslow. And Maslow and his work was kind of the teachings of, was kind of the centerpiece of this program. And Maslow was a positive psychologist, grew up in Brooklyn in the 1900s. And what he dedicated his life to was studying peak performers and what made them great in all kinds of different disciplines, all kinds of different sports, all kinds of different crafts, just kind of peak performance in life, right? And what really separated Maslow at the time, it's much different now with with gentlemen like Martin Seligman and Angela Duckworth, and it's a lot of positive psychology has changed a lot, and the field has grown a lot over the last 15 years is that very few people in the 1900s were looking at what people, the best, most successful, most fulfilled, most highly skilled people, what were they doing to get there? And a lot of psychology was looking at people that were, what was wrong with people, you know, people with issues. That, that was the central focus. And one of the central themes to Maslow's work was that what man can be, man must be. And What he means by that is that we all have this potential within us to go after high performance, live at high performance professionally, personally. There's a potential that we can reach. And as men, the farther, according to Maslow, the farther we are away from that potential, the less fulfilled we will feel. And Maslow says the less fulfilled we'll feel, the more disappointment, the more anger, the more you know, prone to just not productive behavior we will engage in because we're so far off from our potential. What man can be, one must be. So I think it's really important that I try and live at high performance because this is a very wise guy. This is a guy I've studied in depth over the last 10 years. He's, he's a lot smarter than me. And what I've learned from him is if I don't try to live like that, if you don't try 
to maximize your potential in your sport, in your craft, in your discipline, in your, in your profession, in your relationships, then you're going to feel it. You're going to feel imprints on your subconscious. You're going to feel it on your behavior. And whether you realize it or recognize it or not, you're not going to be that. F- the less you are in terms of maximizing your potential as a man, less fulfilled you're going to be, according to Maslow. And I believe him. The number one internal reason why I feel it is important to, why it's important for me to live at high performance and why I feel you need to strive to live at high performance. And the second reason is, this one's more external. Look around you. If not you, then who? Okay? So you can engage with me in this if I'm wrong here, but wherever I go, I see a lot of men who try, who are trying to do whatever is possible to do the least amount of effort needed in their education, in their profession. And I can't speak for what they do at home, but maybe what they do at home as well, right? One of the things I do, so a little bit of background and context on me on why I'm, I'm shooting this podcast. So over the last decade, I've coached peak performance, athlete performance to men across the country, one-on-one coaching, group coaching. And then also I have two sons, KJ and Maceo, aged nine and six. And I also volunteer as the strength and conditioning slash manhood development coach for a football team and track team here in East Oakland. And where I'm going with that, with what I said before, was that a lot of these high schoolers, high school males that I see, I see them trying to do as little as possible to get through the day. And while I think there are a variety of external reasons that are causing that, at the end of the day, it is what it is. And I was reading a book a few years ago, A Fallen Marine, a gentleman who passed away in the Iraqi war. And this was a guy who was over in Iraq and it was his responsibility to help the Iraqi police force kind of build itself and take back their country from Al-Qaeda. And he was having a conversation with his dad a couple weeks ago before he got killed. And this Marine, he kept leading on these missions. He kept being the point man, even though that wasn't really his responsibility. His responsibility was to plan the missions for the Iraqi police force and then kind of engage from the back end and supervise while they went out on the missions. And his dad asked him, he said, you know, why are you doing this? Why are you going out and being the point man, which when you're the point man on these missions, battle, you're the one that you're in front. The enemy sees you first. You're the one that's going to take the first hit. And if they see you before you see them, you're going to take that hit without knowing that it's coming. Really increases the likelihood of you getting injured or killed. And this Marine's dad, he said, Your role is not to be the point man in these missions. Why are you doing that? And the Marine answered, Dad, if I'm not going to do it, then who? And in his mind was, these Iraqi police force, while they meant well, they just did not have the skills and expertise needed to be able to lead from the front on these combat missions to take back their country. And this was the last conversation this Marine had with his dad. He ended up going out on a mission a few days later and passing away because he was, he was the point man. And to kind of bring this back to this podcast and what I'm trying to accomplish here is look around you 
and ask yourself, if I'm not going to do this, if I'm not going to strive to live at high performance, then who is, right? So I'm a dad to two boys. These guys, they look up to me very much and I can say what I want, but my actions speak a thousand times louder than what I say. So they're relying on me. I have dozens of players who rely on me and my actions for me to coach them up, for me to demonstrate to them the importance of living at high performance. I I damn well better be doing it myself, right? And then I think of the community that I'm living in. I think of my wife. I think of my brother. I think of my mom. I think of my dad. I think of, okay, if I'm not a person that is going to be stepping up to the plate and trying to maximize my potential as a man, as an athlete, in my discipline as a coach, teacher, leader, mentor, then who is? Who is going to play that role for all those people? And the answer is nobody, right? Or nobody who can do it with as effectiveness as I can. So the two reasons why I feel that it is important that I live at high performance and I want you to live at high performance is one, when you look at the mirror at the end of the day, according to a very wise man, Dr. Abraham Maslow, the farther we are away from high performance, worse we're going to feel. Okay. So just you want to live a good life. You want to live a fulfilling life. You want to feel good about who you are, what you do. Then going after something like this is a really good, based in science, it's a really good plan. And two, think of your family. Think of your profession. Think of your teams. Think of the people you serve. Think of your community. If you aren't the one that's going to be living at high performance, then who is? Right? It's on you. And this podcast is we're going to bring all types of athletes and military personnel and all kinds of guys who kind of dedicate their life to high performance to to talk about why high performance is important to them, how they go about it, and why they think it is it can be important for you. And in this first episode, before I brought any, I want to bring anyone on, what I wanted to do is I wanted to kind of share my 10 principles that I apply for myself, for my sons, for the people I coach, for my players. These are kind of the 10 foundational principles that I base all of my work on. And these principles are going to be a consistent theme throughout the podcast. And I want to share them with you today just to kind of give you more context what high performance is to me and how I go about that and how I teach that and how I share that. And I hope you dig it. So the way I kind of brand this is my 10 rules for top flight performance. Number one, top flight performers embrace the opportunity to be stressed by the potential to achieve exceptional things. And what I mean by that is if you want to step up, I mean, just kind of the definition of high performance is a separation from the normal, a separation of the average, right? One of the things Abraham Maslow talks about is that when he was studying, when he was in the field of psychology, it was like a psychopathy of of the average. That's what everybody was looking at. And what Maslow said was, why is there so much time and effort put into studying average people? 
when I don't want to be average. Most of us deep within want to be more than that. We want to be at higher performance. And to embrace the opportunity that separating yourself from the pack is going to create stress. It's going to create opportunity where you're going to be performing, whether it's in a packed stadium, whether that's on stage, whether that's in front of an audience, right? But this causes stress because it causes your your mind and your body to leave your comfort zone with the idea that you're going to be entering into a high-performance state to crush that opportunity, which will lead in turn into a, a larger opportunity. And kind of one of the other big teachers that I have looked at in depth over the last 10 years is a gentleman by the name of Mihai Cheek Sent Me High, who studied this concept of flow. And for most of you guys, you understand that it's just being in the zone, right? And when you're in the zone, you're rocking your craft, you're killing your sport. You know, Kevin Durant and whatever game that was in the, in the finals a few weeks ago when he was just going, game, I think game three in Cleveland when he was just going off, he was in flow. He was in the zone. And I connect this to my rule number one is because, yes, you want to embrace the opportunity to be stressed by the potential to achieve exceptional things. But also, you, need to, you just need to be pushing yourself a little bit farther than where you are currently. Because if you go too far, you step into, a, into too big of an arena that you have not properly trained for, that you have not put enough reps in in terms of practice and preparation, then that's not good stress. And a gentleman by the name of Stephen Kotler, who wrote, a, and this is a guy who studies flow, who knows all about Mihai Cheek Sent Mihai, and the book's called The Rise of Superman. And it's all about how athletes in skateboarders, snowboarders, uh, X game athletes, how they have kind of found flow in such an a incredible fashion, and they're doing you know all kinds of crazy stuff that was not even deemed possible five, ten, fifteen years ago in terms of the amount of jump off the ski slope, or you know. I'm not really in that industry, but, you know, going down the, the, the ramps that the skateboarders do and the depths of the ramps are 10 times higher than what was once thought possible. And I want to bring you a quote from Kotler and that book. And that brings us back to the challenge skill ratio, the last of our internal flow triggers and arguably the most important. The idea behind this trigger is that attention is most engaged, i.e. in the now, when there's a very specific relationship between the difficulty of a task and our ability to perform that task. If the challenge is too great, fear swamps the system. If the challenge is too easy, we stop paying attention. Flow appears near the emotional midpoint between boredom and anxiety in what scientists call the flow channel. The spot where the task is hard enough to make a stretch, but not hard enough to make a snap. How hard is that? Answers vary, but the general thinking is about 4%. That's it. That's the sweet spot. If you want to trigger flow, the challenge should be 4% greater than the skills. In technical terms, the sweet spot is the end result of what's known as the Yerkes-Dodson law. The fact that increased stress 
leads to increased performance up to a certain intensity beyond which performance levels off or declines. In real world terms, it's not much at all. And which brings us back to the first rule of top flight performance is you want to embrace the opportunity to be stressed by the potential to achieve exceptional things. Yes, you want to embrace to be the man in the arena, but you also need to not put unnecessary stress on yourself by not properly training and preparing for these moments of stress to achieve exceptional things, right? And that's a huge kind of teaching of mine and something that I really dedicate my life to is dedicate your life to training and not just physical training, mental training, spiritual training. Dedicate your life to learning education over entertainment. And according to Kotler, and I think I know she sent me high, is to increase our skill and to push ourselves out there and to improve our performance, we don't need to be going way out of our comfort zone, right? It's 4%. Just push yourself four, a little bit more every day and that number is going to add up exponentially, right? And there's a great quote by, I think he's still wrestling, but the wrestler Triple H who says, when you make it, the job gets harder, right? So as you move up the ranks here in terms of your field, your craft, your sport, as you move up, the stage is just going to get bigger. And this is not going to get any easier. That's what we want. But just understand that you need to embrace the opportunity to be stressed by the potential to achieve exceptional things. Which brings me to top flight performance rule number two. Top flight performers manage their time and stick to a schedule. Okay? So we all have the exact amount of time in a day, 86,400 seconds, I think, if I'm correct. Take away a certain amount of time of that for sleeping. Take away a certain amount of time of that for work. And then you have a certain amount of time, whether this is within your profession, without your profession, to really be organized and use that time wisely. Uh, Peter Drucker, who is considered by many one of the most successful business teachers of all time, uh, what he really encouraged his students to do was to track your time. Honestly, track your time in a day, in a week, how you are spending your time. And what top flight performers do, and this is something that I have learned through kind of personal experience, is that if I don't really track my day to a minute, then it is easy to get sidetracked. It's easy to get distracted. And we all get sidetracked and we all get distracted by different things. For me, you know, I'm always on to the next idea. So I'll be working on a project and I'll be feeling really good or I'll be doing some kind of physical training. And then my brain will be like, oh, well, you can do this and this will improve you faster and this will improve you more. Then I'll jump to that and that'll get me off schedule. So the importance of managing your time and sticking to a schedule is you're taking control. You're taking control of your time in comparison to what most people do, which is allow their environment to control their time. So my challenge to you today is spend a day tracking your time to a minute, seeing where that time goes, and then taking a little bit of time to reflect and ask yourself, the way I'm spending my time, 
is this match goals that I have for myself. Great line I learned from Urban Meyer is if you're not reaching your goals, then you need to adjust your habits to reach those goals. You need to set less ambitious goals to match your habits, right? Top flight performers manage their time and stick to a schedule. Okay, number three, top flight performers focus on solutions. Others focus on problems. Easier said than done, right? So on average, we have around 60,000 thoughts per day. 95% are the same we had yesterday and the day before that and the day before that and the day before that, right? A record we have on repeat. And 80% of those thoughts are negative, okay? Our brain is wired for negativity. And that is because if you look at evolutionary psychology, you know, for 99.9% of human existence, when we were hunters and gatherers, the, the ones that were thinking negatively about what could go wrong if I eat this berry, what could go wrong if we go off in this new land where we don't know what kind of predators are there, those are the ones that survived. There's an evolutionary reason why our brain is wired for negativity, but now in 2018, uh, that's not necessary. We don't need that. So we create all these big problems, big issues, big worries in our minds, and it's just our evolutionary brain acting up, and we need to take control of that. And the number one tool I use with that is something I lose from I learned from St. Louis Cardinals mental skills coach Jason Selk. And what he talks about is we need to change over from PCT to RSF, problem-centered thought over to relentlessly solution focused. And the way you go about that is whenever you start worrying about something, think about what's one small thing you can do to overcome that worry and then immediately take action on it, no matter how small the action. RSF. Look, we're going to wake up tomorrow and our brain is immediately going to start thinking about problems. It's just the way it's wired. When you get off this podcast, it's going to be thinking about problems. You could be listening to this right now. And while you're listening to it, you're, you're worrying about something. That's something we all have. It's a challenge that we all face. And high performers, what they are able to do is they are able to turn those problems into solutions, okay? And look at that is that like each problem is an opportunity to build skills and get better and find a solution. And once we find that solution, then push us to a higher level of development, right? I mean, it's crazy. 60,000 thoughts in a day, 95% are the same as yesterday and the day before that, day before that, 80% are negative. And this is kind of connected to number four. Top flight performers look at their losses and failures as investments in the next level of growth, okay? So as you can see, most of these are intertwined. So this not only connects with that last one, that connects with the first one, where if you want to step out into a life of high performance, you want to step into the arena, the battle, then you are going to encounter situations, people, obstacles that are going to beat you down many a time. And what high performers do is they use this to build skills and get better, win or learn. And a couple kind of notes on that concept. Something I got from Tony Robbins way back in the day was this line he had, when we win, we party. When we lose, we ponder. And it's this idea of 
okay, when life's going really good, then I'm in celebration mode and I'm worried about, you know, because so much of our life is pain and angst, right? Then I want to focus on celebrating. And that's where I want to put my mind, that's where I want to put my actions. But when we lose, we ponder with what's wrong with my life? What am I doing wrong? Why did I lose? And how can I take action to prevent these losses from happening again? And one of the things I learned from special operators in the United States military is they have something called AARs, after action reviews, where immediately after each mission, what the teams do is they center up and they have a highly detailed debrief on pretty much every step of the mission. What went well? What went wrong? Why did this happen? Why did you go this way? Why did you shoot? Why did you not shoot? And it's just extremely impressive because, I mean, these are missions sometimes can last 12, 18, 24 hours. So I know in many cases, the last thing these guys want to do is go into some kind of meeting room and spend 60 to 90 minutes discussing how, how they, what happened and how they can get better from it. But I mean, sometimes you got to do what you got to do to, to achieve top flight performance. And I think the AARs is probably best in class tool that we can all utilize to learn from our losses and failures right? Michael Jordan had that great Nike commercial way back in the day. It was probably in the 90s where he talks about all the, the last minute shots he's missed, all the times he's lost the game for his, for his teammates because he took a game winning shot and didn't go in. And he talks about how he learned from it. And it is very easy to sit back and, you know, take our losses as personal and get us off mission, get us off path. And by looking at them as investments in our growth is you look at it like it's not a bad thing that I lost. It's not a bad thing that I failed because it's just more building blocks on the pyramid. And there's tools you can use, especially tools like the AAR, the after action review to maximize those failures and losses and minimize the chances of that same failure, that same loss happening again. Number five, the 10 rules of top flight performers. Top flight performers train with a purpose. Others practice by just doing the same thing repeatedly and expecting that repetition alone will improve performance. And this is really a new industry, something that's come about in the last 15 years, the science of expertise. How do you get better at your craft most efficiently? How do you get better at your sport? How do you get better at anything? And that used to be very ambiguous, right? Why some people were able to become elite and while others, you know, put in the same amount of work, yet they didn't reach that level. And Anders Ericsson, this is the guy who kind of originated the 10,000 hour rule, which he's kind of debunked since it's come out. But he's the original, he's kind of the, he's the guru of the science of expertise. And he says that there are four qualities of what he defines as purposeful practice. Okay, going back to this top flight performance rule, just by repeatedly doing something does not mean that you will improve performance. There's no correlation with that. And instead of just engaging in practice and training in our sport, in our discipline, in our craft, in our profession, and we need to have purposeful training, purposeful practice has four qualities. Purposeful practice is well-defined. It has specific goals. How specifically do you intend to improve in this practice session, okay? So 
give me a little bit of slack here. This is Operation Grit Box podcast number one. So, and it's just me talking on it. So, this is a long period of me just kind of rapping and of talking. So, I'm coughing. I'm my mouth is dry and. What I'm doing is I'm taking notes as I do this. Okay, I look at this as I'm putting another rep or my first rep, my first live rep in terms of building my podcast skill. And the next time I shoot a podcast, I'm going to make sure to drink an exorbitant amount of water beforehand and have some water with me. I have water now, but have some water with me when I start the podcast to eliminate coughing, right? So that's one thing. One area I'm going to apply with a well-defined specific goal the next time I shoot a podcast. Purposeful practice is focused. If you're relaxed and having fun, you are not really practicing. Purposeful practice involves feedback. No coach providing feedback equals no purposeful practice. And I think two and three kind of go together because a coach, a good coach, does a really good job of pushing his pupil, his students, his athletes into weaving out of that comfort zone, getting out of that relaxed fun zone, and pushing it into a high intensity zone. Going back to number three, purposeful practice involves feedback. No coach feedback, no purposeful practice. And this is something I take very, very, very seriously. I firmly believe that if you do not have a specific coach with what you are trying to improve at, then you are leaving a lot on the table in terms of what you can do to achieve high performance in your sport, in your discipline, in your craft. A good coach is going to be able to provide feedback to you on the dime while you are training so you could fix what needs to be fixed, improve what needs to improve for you to achieve high performance. And just kind of quick story on that. So I competitively as a sprinter and my coach is Remy Korkemi. Sky is absolutely incredible, 85 years old, still busting out 200-meter sprints, just high level, been coaching Olympians for decades, and his training sessions are hard. You do a lot of mileage for sprinting, and you know a lot of times the guys I train with, we're just going to kind of look at each other in disbelief in terms of what he has us do, but like, what is this, right? And what Coach Korkemi is doing is that he is giving us a strong level of purposeful practice. We're not relaxed. We're not having fun. We're going after it. It's intense. It's hard. And the fun comes afterward. Fun comes when it's time to perform, right? Which brings me to number four. Purposeful practice requires getting out of your comfort zone. Comfortable equals no improvement, okay? So when you are training in your discipline, in your sport, in your craft, are you stepping out of your comfort zone? Is it hard? How are you stepping out of your comfort zone? You know, when you're in the weight room, when you're sprinting, that's easy to do, right? It just means go a little bit faster than you've gone before. Throw on a little bit more weight than you had before. But when you're doing other things outside of that, it may be a little bit more challenging, right? So how do you do that? Because remember, top flight performers train with a purpose. Others practice by just doing something repeatedly and expecting that repetition alone will improve performance. Which brings me to number six. Top flight performers do everything like the championship game is on the line. Others only step up the intensity in pressure-packed game-on-the-line situations. This is one of my favorite ones. Uh, This is something that I really try to, to demonstrate and live by to my boys, people I coach, my players at, at Castlemont at the high school, 
Every moment counts. Every opportunity is the last opportunity. Get disciplined, get organized, get after it, okay? So a lot of people, this is something that we deal with, the, I deal with the football team all the time where they're joking around, right? And they just think about when, it's, when we get into a big game that they'll be able to suddenly dial in and turn it up and things are going to work, work out the way that they want them to. And if you look at the physiology of the body and the brain, it does, we are not wired like that. The more intensity you bring to everything that you do, when it's actually time to perform at high intensity, that just means the more repetition your brain and body have been put into, into how to ramp up to high intensity, how to dial in, and how to succeed in a high intensity environment. And to do everything like the championship game is on the line doesn't mean get stiff and get wired up. What it means is stay present and be focused, right? So if I'm doing this podcast right now, the only thing I'm thinking about is this podcast. When I'm with my boys, the only thing I'm thinking about is being with my boys. When I'm coaching up at Castlemont, the only thing I'm thinking about is the person in front of me at Castlemont, right? When I'm sprinting, I'm not thinking about my boys. I'm not thinking about coaching. I'm thinking about sprinting. And this is a really, really, really great way to live because what it kind of a cause of this is that you stay present. You stay present where you are. You are able to appreciate the details of what's going on around you, your environment, and all there is is the now. A Zen Buddhist monk on the street, that's what he's going to tell you. And by applying this principle, you are there. You can give him some daps and say, I hear you, my man. Number seven, top fight performers prioritize recovery just as much as training. Others spend their time non-training, just chilling and relaxing, okay? And this is kind of a dichotomy of top flight performance. We think that by going all in with our training harder than the man next to us all the time, that the more hours we put in, then the more separation we will have from that man when it's time to compete, when it's time to perform. And it doesn't work like that. I kind of look at Jim Lore as kind of the guru, just like Anders Ericsson is the science of expertise. I look at Jim Lore as kind of as the guru of recovery. This is a guy who's been looking at athlete and sports performance for 40 years. And what he talks about is the importance of oscillating, okay? So train, build skills with high intensity, and then step away and recover with high intensity. And that means that you're dialing in your nutrition, you're spending time in nature outside. If you're an athlete, you're really dialing in stuff like yoga, meditation, everybody meditation. You're recognizing that there are certain times of the day that I just do not need to be checking my iPhone, whether that's early in the morning or late at night. And you are finding kind of your zone of what works for you to optimally prepare you to go all in the next time you train in terms of building your craft, the next time you train so you are all there. And how Jim Lohr came to this conclusion, he looked at top tennis players in the 1990s and what separated them from, you know, tennis players ranked in the two and three hundreds. And for the longest time, he couldn't find much of a difference, right? Skill levels were very similar and he was stumped. And then he finally came to the understanding that what separated the best of the best was that in between points, they would have a set routine which would maximize their recovery. They would do the same thing every time, whether that, you know, Pete Sampras or Anna Kornikova, you know, 
tapping the strings on the racket three times, they would do some. They would do the exact same thing over and over. And when it would get to the fourth and fifth set, when these tennis matches would go two and a half, three hours, they would be demonstrating higher levels of energy and power compared to their opponents. And that that would be a separator, and that would correlate with them winning the match. Okay, so. Yes, we want to train with high intensity, but you want to recover with high intensity just as well. And I speak for me personally, it's like that with all 10 of these rules is this is a never ending battle, right? Because many times we're sore or tired and it's very easy to non-aggressively attack recovery, but that's not what top five performers do. All right. So get after your recovery just as much as you get after your training. Number eight, Top flight performers focus on the process rather than the outcome. Nick Saban, legendary coach at Alabama, has really kind of brought this to the forefront ever since his, he began his run there in terms of focusing on each rep. You know, don't worry about the score. Don't worry about the next game. Don't worry where you are in terms of standing on the roster. Focus on this particular rep. My brother was a, he was at the University of Oregon when Chip Kelly was there. And Chip Kelly had this kind of same mantra of win the day. Don't worry about what's going to happen in the future. Yes, have a clear vision of what you want, but have an even clearer vision of what it's going to take to get there. Put in the work today to execute to get you that one step closer. And kind of the original, we're going to use the word guru again here, uh, the originator of these coaches who came up with this concept and really taught this concept was John Wooden. John Wooden had this concept, legendary UCLA basketball coach, had this idea of just creating a masterpiece day. Don't worry what you are going to be doing a month from now, but just focus on today having a masterpiece day. And that is another challenge I bring to you today is really take some time to reflect on what a masterpiece day looks like for you. What time do you wake up? What time do you go to bed? How much of your time is spent training? How much of your time is spent building skills? How much of your time is in recovery? How much of your time is developing relationships? You want to have a clear understanding of what this masterpiece day looks like so then you could strive to make every day a masterpiece day. Thus, you are focusing on the process rather than the outcome. Which brings us to number nine. Top fight performers don't make decisions when they are emotional, okay? Emotions cause us to make poor decisions. And I see this all the time with my two young boys, right? Where everything is, day's going along smooth. They're doing good. But once some small thing happens or emotionally react toward each other, and that small thing turns into a larger event, leads to places that they don't want to go, right? In terms of behavior, in terms of action, in terms of me as the parent laying down discipline and consequences. And it's like this for all of us. Emotions um, bring out our ego. It just leads to bad bad stuff. You know, this is something that I'm working with our quarterback at Castlemont right now, who, great athlete, great student. He's got like a 4-2, but he gets very emotional. He gets triggered very easily, and it leads to bad decisions. I mean, we'll just keep this in football for a second. Bruce Arians, Arizona, former Arizona Cardinals coach, considered by many the greatest quarterback coach of all time, he says that the two biggest factors in determining a quarterback's greatness are their leadership ability and their decision-making ability. So if our quarterback is getting emotional on the field, then it's going to affect his decision-making ability, and it is going to affect his ability to compete at high performance as a quarterback. Let's take that off the field for a second. He got suspended 
the last week of school because he was triggered by another student who was saying all kinds of hostile racial remarks towards him. He got emotional. He reacted. And thus, consequence, he got suspended from school. And, you know, we're getting kind of code red here with the season about to start. His senior year is I just want him, you know, become a robot and knuckle down and whatever happens, good. That's what happened and move on. And just like with all these, making, being able to step back, especially for men, right? Being able to step back, disengage from our ego before we make a decision and not retaliate, not react, but respond. It is a key determinant on whether or not you are making the right decision. Another great Tony Robbins line is, our decisions are what determine our life, right? Small decisions and our big decisions. We make thousands of decisions every day. How we spend our time, what we eat, what we drink, what time we wake up, how hard we go, and those decisions really determine our whether or not we are living at high performance. Thus, we want to be making those decisions when we are not emotional. Number 10, top flight performers do focus training every day. Others fail to realize the importance of focus training and spend their days decimated by distraction. Okay, to truly engage in high performance, you need to be fully focused, right? We'll bring this all the way back to number one. Remember what Mihai Cheek sent Mihai talked about and being in flow. Flow only happens when we are all the way in, all engaged, all focused. And because we get so much advertising and marketing and media and we live in this amazing digital age now, it is very easy to get distracted. And you need to let this digital age be a tool rather than your master. Because going back to this idea of top flight performers treat every moment like the championship is on the line, the more time we spend focused, the more we will be able to dive into that focus when it's really time to perform in a game time, in a game situation, right? And I want to give you kind of three and a half tools I utilize consistently, I teach that can help you get more focused. Number one, meditation. Meditation builds gray matter in the brain. I'm not a meditation teacher, so I'm not going to try and spend time telling you here, telling you reasons why meditation is good for you. But what I will say is that each time you meditate and you focus on your breath or your mantra or whatever it is that you're focusing on, each time you start thinking about something else and then recognize that you are thinking about something else and bring it back to your breath or your mantra, you are doing a form of focus training, okay? And another tool that I use to as focus training that I found works very well for me, and in addition to meditation, is just counting in your mind. Sitting there quietly, back straight, head up, and counting. Count from one to 100 and back down to one, right? Great form of focus training. Number three, doing what needs to be done with high intensity, whether you feel like it or not. And this connects back to Another one of our rules of treating every moment like the championship is on the line. So when you are doing something and you are building your skills, you are developing your craft, you are building your performance, and you recognize that you're not all the way engaged, you turn it up and you get engaged. And then when you start thinking about something else again, because you're just kind of, you're having an off day, then you recognize that and you get engaged again. And what that is, is that is a focus training because you are bringing yourself back to the task at hand. 
And the last tool that I teach that I use that you can use to improve your focus and go about your focus training is something called the equanimity game. And I got this from famous Roman emperor Marcus Aurelius. This guy was a, had all kinds of, was an amazing leader of men, leader of Rome, and Meditations is his most famous book, but he's, a, he's got a couple different really good writings. And what he talks about with this tool, the equanimity game, is when something upsets you, when another man upsets you, this is a great tool to use before you make a decision, right? Because we don't want to get emotional, is see how quickly you can get back to how you were before that man entered in or that obstacle or that challenge or whatever it is that upset you. See how quickly you can bring it back to get into your prior state, okay? So let's use the story. Let's go back to our quarterback as an example. This guy's had an amazing spring. He's in the finals of his junior year. He has a 4-2. He's walking through the courtyard at the school, and some other student starts yelling at him. And our guy's ignoring it. He's, he's walking. He's doing his thing. And the guy starts yelling, and then he starts throwing stuff. Okay, guy starts yelling, doing his thing. Guy starts saying racial slurs. So now our quarterback, he's getting really upset, right? Decision time. Do I retaliate and start verbally attacking this guy or physically attacking this other student? Or do I engage in the equanimity game, keep walking, run if need be, see how quickly I can get away from him and see how quickly I can get back to that state I was in before I engaged or I heard that when I was, you know, just a guy having a great spring with my 4-2 and being the quarterback of an on-the-rise football team, right? The equanimity game. So meditate, count, do what needs to be done with high intensity, whether you feel like it or not, and the equanimity game. There you have it. My top 10 rules of top flight performance. I'm really excited for the guests that we have coming on, lined up for you to teach you why it is important to be at high performance, to teach me why it's important to be at high performance. And I hope you found some value in this. I appreciate your time and event attention. Get organized, get disciplined, get after it. I will talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Operation Gritbox podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else you may be listening to it. The more reviews we get, the more eyes that will get to this podcast, and thus the more listeners we will receive, thus the more men will be at high performance. Appreciate you. Jack.